Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 17. Let's read it together. The Word of God says, He that passeth by and meddleth with strife belonging not to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. And let's pray. Lord, help us as we discuss this subject of strife tonight. One that, uh, a subject that each one of us has to deal with on a weekly, if not daily basis. Help us to know how to handle strife in such a way that would bring you honor and glory, where we don't get pulled down into the the drama of it, uh, but that we can have difficult discussions with friends, family, loved ones, co-workers, bosses, uh, and even people we disagree with and still do it in a way that would honor you. And so a very practical message tonight, Lord, but I think one that could be truly life-altering if we would take the truths here from your word and apply it to our daily life. So we pray that you'd make us more like thee. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, Tonight's message is exceedingly practical, but I think sometimes it's the practical things that we can put into practice right away and really begin to to change things. How many of you had ever have ever had a disagreement? Yeah, I think all of us. How many of you had one today? Don't raise your hands. I see wives glaring at husbands and uh, husbands glaring at wives. And, uh, now, the truth is disagreements are a part of life. And it makes sense when you understand that we are sinners living in a sin-cursed world full of sinners. Uh, So no doubt we're going to have problems from time to time. But there's a large difference between having a problem and dealing with it in a way that diffuses the situation and brings glory to God, or having a problem And the way we handle the initial issue actually is a bigger problem than the first problem we had. Does that make sense to you? So sometimes we can run into a problem, and then that was something little. Uh, Have you ever just started to have a little talk, maybe a husband, a wife, or family member, or somebody, uh, a friend or loved one, and, and you start talking, and then all of a sudden, the little thing you were trying to talk about now becomes this big, huge thing. And it's like, how did we get here? What we were talking about wasn't all that big. And so the issue becomes we must know how to handle disagreements. All of us have had arguments with friends and loved ones. I want you to remember for a moment how you feel after an argument with a loved one. How do you feel? That gross feeling, that terrible feeling, that icky, just how did that happen? Why did we talk to each other like that? How could they say that to me? Why did I say that to them? And it just turns into something terrible. Uh, But what if we knew how to handle disagreements God's way? What if the next time you had a disagreement, you had a framework that said, wait a minute, I know what to do. I know how to make sure this doesn't blow up. I know how to navigate the rocky waters of disagreement and trouble and frustration. And we're going to talk out our problems instead of getting angry and acting them out. And on Wednesday night, we, we talked about uh, 14 good habits of communication. And tonight, I want to talk to you about how to handle a disagreement. You're probably going to have one this week. And the, the sad thing is, is that often we have the greatest disagreements or we we mishandle disagreements with the people we love the most. For some reason, we're kinder to the person who's checking us out at the grocery store than we are the person we share a bed with. And and it's almost that, that closeness that becomes so special. If we're not careful, we almost feel permission to treat them poorly where we would never treat a stranger that way. And so if we're going to have long-term relationships, whether it be a marriage, a family, uh, anything, we have to learn how to handle disagreements. And so I just want to give you some some thoughts tonight. Some of them will be more philosophical. Some of them will be very practical. But I want to run through this quickly. We may not get through all of them. uh, And if we don't, I'll make it available online uh, somewhere. But uh, 
how to handle a disagreement. I want you to think in your mind before we get started, if I were to come to you and say, man, uh, boy, my, my, my wife and I, we didn't, but let me say my wife and I had a big argument and it just blew up and I don't want that to happen again. How can I keep that from happening? What would you say? The average man's response would be, well, don't talk to her. <laughs> right? Uh, not, not a good response. The truth is we think we know how to win an argument, but, but what do we do? We get louder, so then they get louder, and we get louder, and they get louder, and then we get start cutting off our words, and they start cutting off their words, and then we start using charged language, and they start using charged language, and then we start calling names. You know how the ball rolls down the hill. It comes to, what about this little thing, to the next thing, you know, it looked like a hurricane happened in your heart. It shouldn't be that way. And so let me give you, I've got 20 points tonight. I'm not going to get through all of them uh, unless I just mention some of them, but I, I do want to give them, an, and this would be a good one to write a few things down. Uh, here's how to handle a disagreement God's way. Number one, don't always offer an opinion. Here's a secret to life. You don't always have to talk. You don't always have to give your opinion. You know, the verse we read is our text, Matthew twenty six seventeen. He that passeth by and meddleth with strife not belonging to him. This is a man in search of a problem. It's not a problem coming to him in his face and be like, whoa, where'd this come from? He's, mind, he's walking down the road and he sees a problem and he wants to go get in the middle of it. Now, some people thrive on drama. Yeah, they want to be in the middle of it. If they're not fighting with someone, they'll start a fight. If there's nobody picking on them, they'll go pick on somebody else or they'll jump in the middle of two other people having a problem. What a terrible way to live. Uh, but it talks about is one like, like one taking a dog by the ears. Not a good idea if you see a big German shepherd and he's kind of just eyeballing you as you're walking by. Probably not a good idea to run up and just take his ears and start going, Eee! Probably get your face ripped off. All right, dogs don't like that. And people don't like it whenever we, the, the, we, we get into other people's business or we, we begin meddling in strife. And so... Learn that you don't have to be involved in every strife and don't go looking for strife. Christians should walk a path of peace. Well, how do we do that? Don't always offer an opinion. There's no need to express it every time you disagree. I know this is earth shattering. You don't have to say it. Uh, right? And I, I often say this, and this is a lesson which we, we'll teach in premarital counseling often or marriage counseling when two people just forget how to communicate and they start just going back and forth. So primarily we use it, and marriage is a very close relationship or family, but it's applicable to any, anything. Uh, but think about the Lord Jesus. He spent 30 plus years on the planet. He's perfect. During his ministry, he knows who he is. He knows God's plan. He's the son of God. Imagine all the things he heard that he knew were wrong. Imagine if every time the disciples said something foolish, Jesus said, that's not true. That's not true. I can't believe you believe that. Everybody knows it's this way. That's not who Jesus was. You know, and the, the, the truth is I was talking to somebody uh, one time, and I, I've talked to people a few times over the years, you know, especially whether it be a young Christian or someone who's struggling or this and that. As a pastor, it's our job to know some things about the Bible. But every time somebody says something that's not biblical, how fun would it be to be around me if every time you said something that's not biblical, not true, not true, oh, that's not true. How can you believe that? Here's what this says. Proverbs, Proverbs 26 says this, and Ephesians chapter 3 says this. And it's like you wouldn't want to be around that guy. Well, why in the world would your wife or your husband want to be around you if every time, hey, it's a nice day, well, it's kind of cold. Really? Hey, I like this, I like this couch, man. Hey, this, this, this uh, couch is nice. It's getting faded. I mean, it's like some, some people, every time they say something, somebody says something, they have to offer an opinion when you just don't have to. You don't always have to engage. So, number one, don't always offer an opinion. Don't be argumentative. There's going to be times when you're going to have to pick your battles, when you're going to have to say, hold on, time out. We need to talk about that. But if, you're, if you have an argumentative spirit, and the Bible calls it like a spirit of debate, you're always looking to go back and forth with somebody about something, that's no fun at all. 
and so don't always offer an opinion. All right. I lost some of you right there. Right. Well, listen, we live in a day and age where everybody thinks their opinions important. You know, if you've got a Twitter account, you can just spew out to whatever. Uh, you know, you've got uh, 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 Facebook and all this stuff, and people are, like, uh, doing all kinds of things, and, and uh, young people are taught nowadays that there's no bad ideas. Well, there are bad ideas. You know, there, there are dumb ideas. And, you know, everything's okay, and everybody's all right. And we have to understand that, you know what? Most people don't care what I have to say. I don't have to offer an opinion about everything. And so anyway, we could preach a whole message on that. All right, number one, don't always offer an opinion. Now, that doesn't mean that you clam up and you don't speak and talk and communicate. Uh, but you don't want to do it in an argumentative way. Let me say number two, pick a good time to resolve conflict. So I'm not going to spend uh, any time on this one because we just talked about it Wednesday night. But sometimes arguments become bigger than they need to be because of when we have them. We're just too exhausted to talk about that subject right now. Uh, you know, late at night, not a good idea to talk about anything that's really heavy. Uh, early in the morning, first thing you get up in the morning, not a good idea. When you're really hungry, you know, some people don't really handle things well when they're hungry. They get hangry, right? I mean, it's like this inner anger of hunger and uh, matter of fact, when you study addiction, they'll actually tell you things like this, that you're more susceptible to be triggered to your addiction when you're tired, hungry, and several other things that you maybe wouldn't normally put together. But uh, uh, pick a good time, all right? And also, we talked about not when you first meet. You know, you first get home from work. That's not the time to lay a big problem on somebody. Uh, kiss. How was your day? You know, those types of things. Set a time to resolve conflict, but pick a good time. And we also talked about the fact that you need to pick a time. Maybe you're going to talk about an after dinner, uh, you know, before you settle in and th- you start settling things down for bed when you want to kind of start turning your brain off and not deal with heavy things. Pick a, pick a time between the craziness of life and your brain needs to stop shut, start shutting down. Pick a nice time where everybody's kind of even and you can deal with problems or maybe a good husband and wife can say things like, hey, i got something I need to talk to you about in a little bit. We don't need to do it right now, but just a little bit. Don't let me forget something I need to talk to you about when we got a quiet minute. It's like, okay, I can deal with that. Uh, and so pick a good time. All right, number three, be more interested in protecting the relationship than winning the argument. This is so important. If I had to boil this down to the top four things, this would be one of the top four. We get so invested in trying to win the argument that we're willing to hurt the relationship long term to make a point. And that's just not right. Is winning that argument really worth doing damage to the person you love? And most of the time, the answer is going to be absolutely not. Look at Proverbs chapter 30. There's an interesting verse in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 33. <clears throat> Surely the churning of milk bringeth forth butter, and the wringing of the nose bringeth forth blood. So the forcing of wrath bringeth forth strife. And so when you force wrath, this has the idea of two people getting nose to nose. I mean, rather, you you sense things start heating up, you sense the tension, uh, anger maybe starts to build, or frustration And rather than taking a step back and thinking and saying, I want to handle this properly, it's got the idea of just leaning into it. You see two people leaning into each other nose to nose. How how many times is that going to just escalate? Well, the answer is every time, right? And uh, talking to policemen when they're dealing with domestic problems, it always, physical altercations always start with verbal Very, very rarely is somebody not doing anything, not saying anything, and then physical uh, altercations happen. Almost every time it starts with the words, and it escalates, and it escalates, and things get louder, and the words get sharper, and then it turns into something else. You've got to understand, you're wired the same way. And so if you lean into a problem, and you get more concerned about winning the argument, or overcoming the objective than you are in protecting the person you love. You're just, that's a recipe for problems. Can we agree? 
And so be more interested in protecting the relationship than winning the argument. I'd rather lose, a re- I'd rather lose an argument and come back to it whenever we're both thinking clearly than walk away proving my point, leaving my wife in a crying heap. Or a woman walking away with her chest puffed out. I showed him, yeah, but you just ripped his heart out because the one person in the world that's supposed to believe in him, you just told him he was nothing and you don't believe in him and you don't respect him. And he may not be in a crying heap, but you just ripped out his soul. Oh, but you won. Congratulations. Here's your reward. It's meaningless. And so we have to have this mindset when it comes to disagreements. I have to know where the levers are to say, I'm not going to get pulled into this thing and get revved up to the point where I'm going to say some things and do damage to our relationship. So I said, number one, don't always offer an opinion. Number two, pick a good time to resolve conflict. Number three, be more interested in protecting the relationship than winning the argument. Then number four is really important. Create a safe environment to have difficult conversations. Proverbs ten twelve says this, Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. And whenever a, a couple particularly has a hard time communicating, it's usually because they've learned that it's not safe to open up about their feelings. You know, and it's such a good backdrop to have a, a, a young couple that, that's in love and just got married and, man, everything's so fresh and new and they're so wide open. I, I'd go anywhere with you. I'll tell you anything. You're my sweetheart. I would never leave you. It's wonderful. Don't ever lose that. But I see couples five years later where it's like, I can't tell him anything. I can't talk to her. What happens? Because we mishandle little arguments... We create an environment that teaches us, I can't open my heart to you because you don't respect it enough. You will hurt me if I open up to you. And then the, what, what happens is uh, you, know, you start getting things used against you later. Maybe you do have a moment and you can open up, but then later your loved one uses that against you in an argument later. And so mentally you're like, I'm not going to open up about that again. And so in dealing with disagreements, we want to create this safe space in our, in our heart and in our loved one's heart and in our home where it's safe to have difficult conversations. We can have difficult conversations and I'm going to love you. You can tell me things I don't want to hear and I'm going to love you. I'm not going to hurt you with that. I'm not going to use it against you later. I really care and I want to help. Please open up to me. And what you'll find is you'll work through problems a lot easier rather than both of you got your armor on ready for battle when you come to talk about a problem. Does that make sense to you? All right, number five, control your emotions. Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Proverbs fifteen eighteen says, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeases strife. I want you to look at me. You have to get your emotions under control. People say, well, I just get mad easy. That's a problem. That's a sin. Fix it with God's help. You say, well, I just lose my temper quick. As if it's like, oh, okay, I didn't know that about you. You get a free pass. No, the Bible still says be slow to wrath. And that with this Holy Spirit's help, you can learn. I come from, from a, we talked this morning about forgiveness. I come from a long line of grudge holders. I'm talking about decades long. People not talking for decades I come from, my dad had a temper that I didn't see it very often, but it was scary when you saw it. And that, that's, 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 that's my DNA. And I've worked very hard over the years with God's help and prayer and, and asking God to fill me, where hopefully you'll never see that. Uh, because God can help you with these things. We can't just point to our past and say, well, I'm broken and, and I'll never be fixed. No, we can say, hey, I'm broken or I'm struggling, but God can help me with this. You know, for some people, it's not anger, but they've got a quick tongue. I mean, they're just a sharp tongue and they'll cut you right down. They might even say it nicely. They might even say it with a smile on their face, but they know that they're slicing and dicing, hurting people with their tongue. Not cool. And so what, whatever those things are that we have, those, those defense mechanisms that we have whenever we start to feel like we're unsafe or we're having a difficult conversation... We have to bring all those emotions into control and say, I want to be spirit controlled. I'm not going to get into the flesh. 
I'm not going to revert back to my sin nature to have this conversation. I want to have this conversation with God's help. All right, number six, humbly refuse to get sucked into the drama. Uh, Proverbs 13, go ahead and turn there. This is a verse that everybody should underline, everybody should memorize. So powerful. Uh, Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10. Let's read it together. Ready? Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. So the Bible is very clear. The only, the only reason two people ever argue is because somebody's being proud. And usually both people being proud. You can disagree and both be strong in your disagreement without getting in the flesh. Right? Without, without mishandling it. But pride turns it into contention. And boy, you know what? Let's be honest. We don't like being told we're wrong. Right? We don't like being confronted when we're doing something that's unacceptable or someone thinks something about us or those types of things. And it's immediate reaction of the flesh to kind of bow up. And uh, we've got to be careful. And this is why I chose my wording carefully. Humbly refuse to get sucked into the drama. It's not that if, if, if someone brings you a problem, you're like, oh, I'm not getting into that. I'm not getting down in the mud with you. I'm not getting in the sewer with you. That's kind of a proud way of saying it. But I mean humbly, just humbly realize that if someone else is escalating and you feel yourself, you feel that, that pull to get sucked into an argument because they're saying all kinds of dumb stuff. I mean, we've all been there, right? And you start getting pulled in. You just need to humbly refuse to engage with them. I'm not going to talk with you this way. I love you too much to have this conversation like this. Let's take a step back. Let's pray. Let's take a few minutes. Let's push the reset button. And let's talk about this in a way that would honor the Lord. Now, sometimes that doesn't work for people who are already in the flesh. They're already revved up, right? Uh, sometimes they don't want to stop. And I, I wrote down a little statement here that says it's almost impossible to argue with someone who won't. It's almost impossible to argue with someone who won't engage. But I couldn't say it's impossible because I have seen it where people will keep arguing even though the, the other person's saying nothing. <laughs> you know, it's almost like they're just like a punching bag. I mean, they could just be sitting there and this person just keeps going and going and going and going and going. And sometimes when people get so revved up or that they get so contentious and, and so fleshly and so proud or so angry, it's hard for them to stop. There are times to just remove from that situation, to physically remove yourself and say, I love you too much, or I care about you too much, or I respect you too much to talk to you like this. And I, I won't allow you to talk to me this way, so let's talk when we both take a breath and we can honor the Lord. All right, there's a lot of wisdom there. All right, number seven, uh, respond softly. Look at Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. So one of the keys to handling a disagreement is oftentimes people are going to come at you. Usually when someone brings you a disagreement, they're not in a great frame of mind, right? Most people don't come to you and say, excuse me, I've just had something that's bothering me a little bit. And I'd like to speak with you about it. But first, can we pray and ask the Lord that he would bless our conversation? You know, usually the boss at work is going to come to you and be like, Ken, what'd you do this time? Or Mark, what's your problem? Or perhaps it's even your wife or your husband. And they come at you hard and fast because they're already bothered and they're already upset and you don't even know what's going on and they're like already at a nine. And so what do we do? Our tendency is, man, we put the pedal to the metal and rev it right up. Oh, yeah. And we'll raise our voice and we'll match them. No, the Bible says be prepared to answer with a soft answer. So when someone comes at you hard and fast, we have to be spiritual enough and grounded enough to not respond in like. All right, we have to respond softly and speak to them in a way that would turn away wrath. I'm sorry, I, I, I want to help you, but I just don't know what you're saying. And I'm, excuse me, but... It's hard for me to hear you when you're yelling. I mean, I can hear your voice, but it's hard for me to, to get what you're saying when you're talking like that. Do you mind just taking a minute and explaining to me what's, what's happening? And that has a tendency to put the brakes on a situation 
that could really ramp up quickly. So respond softly. All right, and this would be, if I was going to give you the top four or five, this would be definitely one of the top ones, so don't miss it. Listen with a desire to understand. Oftentimes what happens is when you start arguing with someone, you spend more time thinking about the next thing you're going to say than you do actually listening to what's bothering them. You ever been there? You can almost see it in someone's face where they're just preparing their next answer instead of listening to what you're trying to say. And so we have to listen with the desire to understand. Now, here's a couple ways we do that. First of all, when you're having a disagreement with someone, retain eye contact. You know, the, the thing that we try to do, especially when we start getting frustrated, is just look away or look down. You know, we, get a, we set our jaw. Um, and so you, you want to listen with a loving way. When you're really listening to somebody, you, you look at them, and then... You ask questions. I'm trying to understand what you're saying. So it was this that bothered you or, or this happened? Yes, that's happened. And almost as soon as, and you watch this the next time this, this plays out in your life, as soon as someone feels like you really care about what they're saying, it almost immediately starts to go down. Uh, the, the tension, the frustration, the anger. Because oftentimes we yell to be heard. We're mean to be heard. But whenever you say, I'm hearing you, I'm hearing you, and I want to know more, we ask questions, we retain eye contact, we repeat what they said in a positive way. So you look at the person lovingly and say, so what you're saying is I'm a loser. That's exactly what I'm saying. I hear you, <laughs> you know, and I am a loser. And so I said something very similar to somebody one time. I was a pastor here, and somebody came in, and boy, they were giving me the riot act. And I can't remember the exact words I used, but I listened, and I was doing these things. And, and uh, so I wanted to repeat back, but, I mean, they were saying some pretty harsh things. So I said almost jokingly, hoping to get a laugh out of them, but they agreed with me wholeheartedly. So what you're saying is that I'm not a very good pastor. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Interesting. Tell me more. Tell me how... Tell me how bad of a pastor I am. You know, it's like it just uh, they just stop start calming down a little bit because they feel heard. And boy, I heard them all right. And uh, by the end of the conversation, I was halfway agreeing with them. That's the problem. If you listen too long, it's like, you're right. I am lousy. I'm going to go jump off a bridge. You know, Uh, here's another one. Listen with the desire to understand. Don't interrupt. Don't interrupt. And neither monopolize the conversation. All right. Number nine, communicate. Don't lecture. Have you ever been in an argument with someone or someone starts talking to you about a problem and next thing you know you're in like a 40-minute lecture? And it's like you got it a long time ago. You're trying to do these things and you're trying to handle it right and it's like I got it like 30 minutes ago. Right? And if we're not careful, we'll almost put up a little pulpit and start lecturing rather than communicating. And so communicating, what's the difference between communicating? Communicating is a two-way street. I talk and you talk. And I talk and you talk. It's not I talk for one minute and you talk for 20. And then I talk for 30 seconds and you talk for 10. You know, that gets frustrating over time, doesn't it? And so communicate, don't lecture. I wrote down here Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace to the hearers. And so we want to be providing grace, adding grace to the situation, not just lecturing and trying to uh, change people. All right, number 10, and this goes without saying, but be kind. In Colossians 3.12, we mentioned that this morning, uh, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. So when you're talking to someone, even in an argument, work on being kind. I'm not going to be unkind. I'm not going to use charged words. I'm not going to say things like always and never. You always do this. You never do that. Well, as soon as you start using words like this, and, uh, you know, uh, someone forgot to do something, and all of a sudden it's a betrayal. That's a pretty harsh word for a situation like that. I was betrayed. You murdered my confidence. You destroyed my... I destroyed you? 
I betrayed you? I mean, these charged words, whenever we start getting upset, the language just gets very forceful. And of course, that uh, causes the flesh to want to respond. We don't want to start making accusations. You're this, you're that, you're lazy, you don't love me, you don't take care of us. You don't do this. You're not a good husband. You're not a good wife. You're not a good kid. You're not a good parent. We start making these accusations. That's very hurtful. And so on our part, we want to make sure that we don't get drawn into that. But at the same time, if someone's doing that to us, we have to work on all of these other things to de-escalate the disagreement and the argument instead of getting pulled in. All right, name-calling. Things like dumb, stupid, curse words. It's amazing to me how many times uh, husbands and wives cuss at each other. I mean, it's really crazy. That ought to never happen. I mean, never. The truth is, you ought not be cussing at all. Clean up your mouth. Uh, you, You need to learn to communicate to where your words have enough weight that you don't have to throw in a four letter word to make people believe that you mean what you say. Jesus said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. I mean what I say. I don't have to yell it. I don't have to curse it. I don't have to swear. Let your words mean something. But why in the world would you use the harshest language available to talk to the people you say you love? All right, and so be kind. Focus on kindness. Do this next time a loved one is just letting you have it. Look at them lovingly. Try some of these things, and then just look at them, and I mean honestly mean it, and say, I love you, and I'm so sorry if I hurt you. It would never want to hurt you. I love you too much to want to hurt you. Isn't that better than they step on the gas, you step on the gas, next thing you know, you're forcing that wrath? So we've got to be careful. So we said these Uh, Number one, don't always offer an opinion. Number two, pick a good time to resolve conflict. Number three, be more interested in protecting the relationship than winning the argument. Number four, create a safe environment to have difficult conversations. Number five, control your emotions. Number six, humbly refuse to get sucked into the drama. Number seven, respond softly. Number eight, listen with a desire to understand. Number nine, communicate, don't lecture. Number ten, be kind. Number eleven, and this one is so important. Uh, look at them with love. You're in the middle of a disagreement with someone. You feel the tension. You feel the stress. You're starting to get upset. Maybe you've already been upset. And listen, let's be honest. Sometimes you're going to get hit with something, and you're going to escalate it, and it's going to be in a place where you don't want it to be, and something inside your mind is going to click, and it's like, this isn't right how this is going down. And then you're going to have to pull back and be like, I'm going to change how this conversation's going. Because I love you too much to treat you that way. One of the ways you do, you know, the face is so powerful. The Bible talks a lot about the countenance. Proverbs 16, 15 says, In the light of the king's countenance is life, and his favors is a cloud of latter rain. So someone you really love, someone you really respect, looking at you with a a, a look of uh, pleasure or love or pride, that's really powerful. But it's also really powerful to have someone you love looking at you with a look of hatred and anger and disgust and contempt. And so a lot of times when you're getting hit with something, if you're not careful, you're not in a good place in your heart and you're already arguing in your heart, even while you're maybe, you might let them say what they're saying. But man, you're right here and your face, your, brow, your eyebrows come down and your, your eyes get thin and your lip starts to curl and your jaw gets set. Man, you're like, I hear you. I, I hear you. And it's, I learned this from a man a long time ago. He said, he said, look at your wife with love on your face. And I thought, man, that's powerful. You say, how do you do that? First of all, you're aware of your countenance. You work on keeping a loving face. And then you think loving thoughts. You know, if, if I'm looking at you thinking I'm going to kill you, that's probably going to come across on my face. But if I'm looking at you thinking, I love you. And I know that you're upset with me right now, but I wouldn't trade you for anybody in the world. 
I remember when we got married. I remember all the good times we've had. So the way you keep the loving face is that you, in your mind, that, that forces you to not go to the negative and the mean. And the, the devil's going to be whispering in your ear in the middle of a fight or in the middle of an argument, see, they don't love you. And oh, you knew this would happen. And he's going to try to reinforce every bad thought you've ever had about each other. And, and again, this is primarily we're talking today about husband and wife, but this is about parent and child. You know, some of you kids, you got to be careful because your, your parents will get on to you because you did something wrong and Satan will jump on your, your mind and say, see, your parents don't love you. They're too strict. You'd be better off. If... Boy, Satan's so good at his job. You just got to block that stuff out. Uh, but look with a, a look of love. Number 12, don't repeat past wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, the Love doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. The phrase thinketh no evil is actually a word that means it doesn't keep a list of wrongdoing. And so sometimes whenever we get in an argument, uh, people will bring up all the other things we've ever done to hurt them. And listen, Ladies, you got to be really careful of this because usually you got a better memory than us guys do. We don't remember, we don't remember what we said five minutes ago. Uh, sometimes, what does what Brother Ken call them? Some kind of knuckle draggers? Uh, yeah, knuckle-headed foot draggers. And uh, sometimes we're just knuckle-headed foot draggers. And my, my stepdad used to, when he'd get mad at us, he'd call us a knuckle dragger. I was like, what, what's a knuckle dragger? He'd say in the Navy on these boats, you'd have these big guys and they'd just walk around you know, they're so muscular, it's like their knuckles are dragging the ground, but there's not much upstairs. And he'd be like, don't be a knuckle dragger. And uh, so don't be a knuckle-headed foot dragger. That's right. And so sometimes we just are. Sometimes we don't get it. And we do dumb stuff. But man, I've been in arguments and, and with ladies before, and thankfully I got a good wife. But man, it's like, well, I remember 20 years ago on, on September 3rd, 19, you did this, and then you did this, and you did this, and five years ago you did this, and three years ago you did this, and it's like, Whoa. How do you remember all that? And so like we talked about this morning with forgiveness, you can't keep a list of all these wrongdoings to use against them later. That's not love. Uh, the Bible actually says love covers sins. It doesn't dredge them up and beat you with them. And so don't repeat past wrongs in the heat of an argument. Number 13, find common ground. Uh, Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? And so when you're listening to the problem and you're hearing what they say, then you, you start to find a way you can agree with them. And so I was, I was talking to uh, my wife recently, and we were talking about something, and we had just a, a little minor disagreement, nothing big, nothing earth-shattering, just a disagreement like husbands and wives do. Uh, it was this way, oh, it was that way. Or, or, uh, and, and, you know, after a minute I realized, she's right. Two words a husband never wants to hear. She's right. At that moment, I had a choice to make. Do I hold my ground or do I admit my fault? And, of course, it was no problem. I said, you know what? You're right. And uh, then I got on her side and I started thinking, boy, you're not only right, you're very right. And, man, I was wrong about this and I was wrong about this and I was wrong, you know, talking about this little situation. Man, that'll just solve an argument like that usually. And so I, I teach married couples this where if, if you're having a problem Maybe that, you, you know, when you have one problem, you start talking about all kinds of secondary and uh, problems. Well, find a secondary problem that you agree with. And rather than, than butting heads this way and, and you're like looking at the problem like this, she's across from you and you're this way and you're kind of facing off. Go over to her side of the table or his side of the table and look at the problem with them. And you're like, hey, I, I see what you're seeing now. Yeah, look at that. Now, I don't agree with you about this over here, but let's talk about that in a minute. But, man, you're right about that. And you find some common ground. You find something you can agree with. State your areas of agreement rather than in the middle of an argument. You just keep disagreeing and disagreeing and disagreeing and disagreeing. No, find something that you can agree about and use that as some fresh footing so that you can de-escalate and begin to work through the problem. All right. Number 14. Here's a tough one. Don't go to bed angry. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. The Bible says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. So the Bible is saying two things here. First of all, it's possible to be angry and not be in sin. And that's usually you're angry about righteous things. 
right? God is angry, but he's not in sin. So there are things we should be angry about. We're just usually angry about uh, selfish things uh, and, and, and about the wrong things. But the Bible says, even when I'm angry, uh, let's say I'm in wrath, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Why? Because when you go to bed angry, you're giving the devil a place in your life to work. And so we, we encourage husbands and wives all the time to, if you're having a problem, uh, do your best to settle it before you go to bed. Now let me warn you, there'll be some late nights. There were some nights where my wife and I, and we've, we've never been real arguers, but there were some nights early in our marriage where, I mean, you're up to 2, 3 in the morning. Because you just couldn't seem to get through it. But eventually you just get so exhausted, well, you'll agree with anything. It's like, you're right, I'm a loser. No, I'm the loser, you know. <laughs> then you kiss and make up and go to bed and get a good night's sleep. But uh, if you get in the habit, here's the problem. You go to bed angry one night, you wake up angry. You go to bed angry the next night. One night turns into two, two turns into a week, a week turns into a month, right? You have to find a cutoff where you say, I'm not going to be comfortable just being upset with each other. And I guarantee you, in a, in a crowd this size, there are two people in this room. I don't know who you are, but there's two people in this room. You're currently not happy with each other, and it's just dragging on, and it's dragging on, it's dragging on. It might be siblings. It might be married couple. It might be uh, uh, parents, and, but especially married couples. You've just got to uh, draw a line in the sand and say, we're going to fix this. We're not going to let this go on indefinitely. Brother Pat, you got some memories there, don't you? All right, number 15. This one's so important. I want you to look at it. Ezekiel, excuse me, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I was doing marriage counseling one time, and uh, the married couple really had been going through a, a rocky time. But they were really focused on the mean things they had said to each other. And this couple knew how to fight. I mean, when they got going, it was like a knockdown, drag out, yelling, screaming, cussing, throwing things. I mean, they didn't lay their hands on each other, uh, but I mean, everything but. And I kept telling them, you, you're going to get in trouble. You're, you're going to do, you're going to cross that line. They said, oh, we'd never touch each other. You're going to, because again, the forcing of wrath, if you keep revving that up, it's going to happen eventually. Uh, but anyway, they said something and, and uh, I can't remember if it was the wife or the husband said something when they were screaming and yelling at each other. And the person said, no, this is, I know what they really believe. They're telling me now they love me, but I know what they really believe because when we were fighting, uh, she said this. And I said, excuse me? And he said, he said, well, you know, people say what they really mean when they're angry. He said, that's when their heart really comes out. That's when what, how they really feel comes out. I said, no, it's the exact opposite. People say things they don't mean when they're angry. And uh, the Lord showed me this verse, and I've used it many times since. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 21 and 22. Uh, also take no heed unto all words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. For oft times also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise hast cursed others. And here is talking about a servant-master relationship but the Bible's saying, reminding us that, listen, people say things they don't mean, right? So you can't take heed to everything someone says. It's not giving someone a pass to, to look at them and say, I know you don't mean that because you're not thinking straight. I know you don't mean that because you're, you know, there has to be this where you're not taking to heart the meanest things people say, the worst things they ever say about you. There has to be some leeway to realize that I myself have said things about people that I didn't really think or believe because of some reason or another. And so we have to give people that same leeway too. And when, when people are mad at each other, they say things they don't mean. You can't latch on to those things said in anger and, and believe that's the truth. Because here's what happens. These emotions are charged. Satan's so good at his job. Someone can say, I hate you. I, I wish I'd never married you. And that erases the, the 10,000 times they said, I love you. And the thousand times they've said it since. Because back then you said this. You have to understand people say dumb stuff. And so there's a certain portion of all of our words 
that probably just have to be thrown into the trash heap. Well, I should have never said those. Didn't want to say those. Number 16, I'll just, I'll just read these to you. Be quick to apologize and quick to forgive. Ephesians 4, 32, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Matthew 5 says, if you know someone has ought against you, even if you're at the temple and you're bringing an offering, you're in a spiritual setting, but you remember that you've offended someone and you've not made it right to leave your gift at the altar and go make it right. So God's teaching us that we need to be quick to apologize. As soon as we know we've hurt someone, don't be stubborn. Say, I'm sorry. Say, I apologize. Make it right. Don't, don't, don't allow that pride to keep you from being quick to apologize. And if someone apologizes, be quick to forgive, as we talked about this morning. All right, number 17, don't share personal problems with friends and family. It's a betrayal. Uh, two things happen when you share problems. Let's say uh, a husband and wife fight, and then they go tell their parents, well, now, wait a minute. First of all, that's a betrayal because that should have, should have stayed between those two. But then secondly, it gives, it gives the other people not involved to take up their offense. So when we talk about marriage counseling and in-laws and stuff, uh, I'll, I'll teach young people or married couples to get godly counsel. Don't go talk to your friends and family about all your marital problems. Because what happens is you'll teach your friends and family not to like your loved one. And then you'll, you'll be upset when they don't want to see him. They don't want him to come over for dinner. They don't want to see them at the family reunion. You're like, well, why? I love them. Well, I know how mean they are to you. And so it, it creates this, this crazy thing where you're not only betraying the things that should be kept between you, but you're also uh, airing out your dirty laundry to others, and they don't have the grace and the wisdom to handle it. So don't gossip, get godly counsel. And Proverbs 25, 9 is the verse for that. Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself and discover not a secret to another. Number 18, give a way out. I've seen so many arguments where no matter how much they argue, they can't end the argument because one person refuses to give them a way out. And one thing I love about the Lord is that God gave us a clearly communicated way to salvation. God said, here's the problem and here's how you fix it. And so you have to give people a way to fix it. You have to let them apologize. You have to tell them how to fix the problem, okay? Now that I've acknowledged that, that I've done this to you or that I hurt you in this way, how do I fix it? And I've had ladies look at husbands and say, I don't know how you fix it. You hurt me. I don't know how you fix it. Well, what do we do from here? I don't know. Okay, so now we're just in this limbo of hurt. I've had men say that to ladies. Oh, you did this to me. I can't believe you did this. How do I, I don't know how you fix it. This is just the way it is now. No, you have to create a path out of the argument, out of the hurt and the pain. That's what our Lord did to us. He gave us a way to be saved. I was talking to a, a man one time, and he was frustrated with me, and actually it was more of some other people in his life was frustrated with me. And I was talking to him, and I said, we came to a disagreement, and I, I just looked at him, and I said, okay, we disagree, but this isn't, this isn't a mortal disagreement. I mean, this isn't a deal breaker. I said, so, so where do we go from here? And he just said, I don't know. I said, but you have an unrealistic expectation of this conversation. You're telling me there's a problem. I've looked at it. I've looked at, at the side that I've agreed with you about a few things, but over here, you're just not being realistic. That's not true. I want to salvage this relationship. What do we do? This is what God says. Well, I don't know where we go from here. And I looked at him and said, you understand you're not giving me a way to make this right. I said, that's unbiblical. He said, I don't know what to tell you. And the truth is, it was such a small thing that there should have been a way to fix it. And I've seen this so many times in marriages where little things turn into big things and then there's no clear path to fix it. Give people a way to fix it. Tell them how to fix it and then be quick to forgive. All right, I don't, I don't feel like I'm explaining that well but I'm, I'm out of time. Let me say number 19, move on quickly. Uh, don't let five minutes ruin your day. When my wife and I first got married and we were talking about this, I was talking about this, uh, and I actually had her remind me of some things. I had a whole lesson about this, uh, but it had gotten erased on my computer, so I, I rebuilt it from scratch, and it's actually much longer now. Don't you wish I'd found the old one? And, uh, but, but earlier this week, I had uh, been praying about it. And I talked to my wife and she was actually reminding things and she said, you've taught me things over the years and 
I told her, you've taught me things over the years. And so we, we kind of built this list uh, together. And she said, you know, one way you really helped me is she said, I don't know if you remember, but when we first got married, if we had any type of argument throughout the day, it ruined my whole day. Because she wanted to please me so desperately that if we had any hiccup, it was like my day's ruined. And I was like, I remember that. I had forgotten about it, but I remember that. And I used to get frustrated because we'd have a little disagreement. I mean, it might take two to five minutes, and then it's done, and then she's like, my whole day's ruined. And I used to tell her, you can't let five minutes ruin your day. You can't let one conversation ruin your whole day. We've got 23-plus hours left of the day. And so she taught me while we were talking about this, she said, you taught me how to move on quickly after a disagreement. And that's what number 19 is, just move on quickly. Don't let a hiccup, don't let a disagreement ruin your day or your week or your month or your year. You know, sometimes we get, we get in that cycle of pain and hurt. Oh, it's ruined and my relationship's ruined. No, it's not. Fix the disagreement, come to a conclusion, handle it God's way, and move on and love one another as God has told you. Amen? And then lastly, pray together when the conversation's done. You say, how do I know when a conversation's done, preacher? The conversation's done, the disagreement's over, when you can look at your loved one in the eye and you can say, you know, I love you. And I'm glad we were able to talk about this. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our relationship. Then you know it's done. And usually there's a hug involved, perhaps a kiss. Oftentimes, after a strong disagreement, if you handle it properly and it comes to a godly conclusion, you're both apologizing for each other. Or to each other, not necessarily because of the original thing, but because how you treated each other during the argument. Does that make sense to you? And so stop having these open-ended disagreements where they never come to a conclusion. Then you have another one the next day, another one two days later, and it just turns into this, your, your relationship just becomes this big ball of hurt. And oftentimes in marriage counseling, all it is is I call it peeling the onion. We bring in a hurt relationship, and usually what they think the problem is isn't the problem. And when they start peeling away the layers of hurt and disrespect and pain, they find out, hey, we still really do love each other. We really do have a way to make this work. And it gives hope. And so uh, whether you're having a little disagreement or a knockdown, drag out, a metaphorically a disagreement, then these things will help you. I said I wasn't going to give them all to you. I did. So let me take a moment and apologize to you. I am so sorry. I'm coming over to the pew looking at the pulpit <laughs> saying, Preacher, you didn't do what you said. You preached way too long. I didn't need half of that. I got the message 30 minutes ago. Okay? It's, so I, I apologize. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our relationship. And... Uh, I hope this is a blessing to someone. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the chance to uh, talk about these things. Such a practical message, but yet with very deep ramifications. And so I pray that you'd help us. Help us with the, the ones we love the most. Help us to treat each other with respect and love and kindness. Help us to treat everyone in our world. Uh, and, and to handle disagreements and to learn this to where... When we get sideswiped or sucker punched with problems and people come to us the wrong way where our default is not fleshly, but it's spiritual. Our default response is spiritual. And then, Lord, please help us. None of us are perfect at this, but we can all grow in grace and teach these truths to others. Uh, disagreements are going to happen, but most of them can be handled quickly and in a way that brings you glory. And even the toughest ones can be handled in a way that brings you glory. So help us to do it. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand. As the piano plays, we'll take just a moment. Hey, if, you're, if there's something going on right now, maybe with, with a husband and wife or a family member or a friend, man, make that.